I didn't do it, I promise. I found as I've, uh, <laughs> as I've gotten older, it takes a few minutes to uh, get prepared. It's almost like a ritual here, but um, here it goes. Um, what an honor it is to be here today. As we uh, selected Ezekiel 25 through 28 as the focus of the day's message, we had no intention of timing the preaching of these chapters to correspond with the national midterm elections. As I prepared today's sermon, the biblical truths provided to us through God's prophet Ezekiel really spoke to me concerning our lives as believers living in a politically divided secular culture. I really believe the messages of these chapters is as relevant to today's Christian as it was to Ezekiel's original audience. These verses provide us with divine revelation concerning God's jurisdiction and judgment over all aspects of our universe. As we explore these chapters today, I want you to please keep in mind our main idea, and that is God's people in all places and all times should always remember and take comfort in the biblical truth that God has complete jurisdiction and judgment over all things in his creation. I know this may seem hard for many of us to believe right now, but let me repeat that. God's people in all places and all times should always remember and take comfort in the biblical truth that God has complete jurisdiction and judgment over all things in his creation. In our series on Ezekiel, we've seen how the prophet had warned Judah of judgment in the first 23 chapters. Chapter 24 climaxed these warnings with the announcement of Judah's foretold punishment. Now, with the fall of Judah and Jerusalem, Ezekiel turns to announce judgment on the foreign nations that have cursed Israel. And all seven nations stand condemned by God. Today, we'll focus on God's judgment against Anam, Moab, Edom, Philistia, Tyre, and Sidon, found in chapters 25 through 28. And we'll continue next week with God's judgment against Egypt. Today's message, I will highlight three main themes from our scripture readings. The first is God's divine sovereignty. He has complete jurisdiction over all things. Secondly, we'll look at God's judgment against man's arrogance. And finally, we'll tie it all together with practical application points for today's New Covenant Christians. Our main idea is that all of God's people, no matter where or when, should always remember that God has jurisdiction and judgment over all things. And now, for our first point, God has complete jurisdiction over all things. God is the Lord of all history, and the fates of all nations and all people are in the hands of the Lord. He is king not only over Israel, but over all the nations, over all the earth, and he governs all the events of human history for his purposes. We are reminded of this truth by the psalmist's teaching in Psalm 33, 10-11. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the prophets and the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Here we see that the God who made the world also rules it according to his own purposes so that it should come as no surprise to us when God holds the pagan nations accountable. 
for their sins of cursing Israel. In addition to Ezekiel's oracles of judgment on these nations found in chapters 25 through 28, their punishment has already been foretold by the prophet Jeremiah as revealed to us in the book of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 9, 25 through 26, God announces that he will punish all Jews and Gentiles who are uncircumcised in heart. Behold, days, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh, Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Anam, Moab, and all those who dwell in the desert who cut the corners of their hair, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian armies will be the instrument of judgment on these nations, as well as on Judah. These nations will also experience captivity under Babylonian rule for 70 years, as we learn in Jeremiah 25:11. And we think two years of a divided Congress is bad. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Moreover, God promised that those who cursed Israel will also be cursed, as we see in God's covenantal promise to Abram in Genesis 12:3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Church, let us never forget that the Lord keeps his covenantal promises. This bears repeating. The Lord keeps his covenantal promises. We see this truth clearly illustrated in chapter 25 in the prophecies of judgment against the nations of Adam, Moab, Seir, Edom, and Philistia. Adam is accused of expressing satisfaction over the misfortunes of Judah. Ezekiel 25.6, or excuse me, 25.6-7 states that, For thus says the Lord God, because you have clapped your hands and stamped your feet and rejoiced with all the malice within your soul against the land of Israel. Therefore, behold, I have stretched out my hand against you and will hand you over as plunder to the nations. And I will cut you off from the peoples and make you perish out of the countries. I will destroy you. Then you will know that I am Lord. We also see similar judgments from God against uh, Moab, Edom, and Philistia, further demonstrating not only that God keeps his promises, but that no nation stands outside the reach of his divine sovereignty. No nation stands out the reach of his divine sovereignty. Moab had cursed the people of Israel, bringing disrespect of Judah's divine election. Moab viewed Judah in the same light as all the other nations because of her defeat. As we see in Zephaniah 2, 8 through 9, Moab laughed at Judah's defeat despite her professed election by God. I have heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites and how they have turned my people and made my boast against their territory. God's accusations against Edom, focuses on her attitude of vengeance against Judah. 
As noted in Ezekiel 25, 12 through 13, thus says the Lord God, because Edom acted revengefully against the house of Judah and has grievously offended in taking vengeance on them. Therefore, says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against Edom and cut off from it man and beast. I will make it desolate from Terman to Dedan, and they shall fall by the sword. The Philistines were also accused of responding with vengeance against Judah. As God declared in Ezekiel 25, 15 to 17, their goal was to destroy Judah. Thus says the Lord God, because the Philistines have acted revengefully and took vengeance with malice of soul to destroy a never-ending enemy. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will stretch out my hand against the Philistines and I will cut off the Kerasites and destroy the rest of the seacoast. I will execute great vengeance on them with my wrathful rebukes. They will know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. Are we getting, we're beginning to see a theme here. They will know that I am the Lord. Perhaps the uh, chastened king Nebuchadnezzar described God's divine judgment best when he concluded in Daniel 4, 34-35 that God's domain is an everlasting domain, or dominion, excuse me, and his kingdom enters from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Hopefully none of us will ever be humbled like King Nebuchadnezzar and have to go out in the field and eat grass like an ox. But let us never forget and let us always acknowledge God's jurisdiction in our lives over all things and during all times. Our second main point concerns God's judgment against man's arrogance and pride. In chapter 25, we learn that God's judgment against the nations of Anam, Moab, Edom, and Philistia. And now in chapter 26, we see God's judgment against Tyre for her desire to reap the spoils of Jerusalem. It is this desire for wealth and riches that's now expressed towards God's holy city and its people that brings God's wrath on Tyre in fulfillment of his promises in Genesis 12, 3. The Lord came to Ezekiel and said, Son of man, because Tyre said concerning Jerusalem, Aha, the gates of the people is broken. It is swung open to me. I shall be replenished now that she is laid waste. Therefore, says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and will bring up many nations against you as the sea brings up its waves. They shall destroy the walls of Tyre, break down her towers, and I will scrape the soil from her and make her a bare rock, which, by the way, she remains today. She shall be in the midst of the sea, a place for the spreading of nets, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. And she shall become plunder for the nations, and her daughters on the mainland shall be killed by the sword. They shall know that I am the Lord. The daughters on the mainland, that referred basically to what we would call now client states, or modern client states, but those were affiliate states that, that were closely tied in the line with uh, Tyre. In chapter 27, we find the prophet Ezekiel's lament for Tyre, where the destruction is described using the image 
imagery of the wreck of a magnificent ship. You can almost see in your mind as you read through these verses, a magnificent sailing ship manned and crewed by the, the best sailors in the world. Tyre thought she had the best of everything. She had become full of self-conceit, as illustrated by verse 27.3. Old Tyre, you have said I am perfect in beauty. For Ezekiel, Tyre is the supreme illustration of Proverbs 16.18 that states pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Ezekiel's lament from Tyre also illustrates our main point that God has complete jurisdiction and judgment of all things in his creation. The fate of all nations are in the hands of the Lord, including ours, including Russia, including the People's Republic of China. Tyre represents at the time, or represented at the time, the glory of human achievement, but her successes were driven by avarice and pursued in defiance of God. She could not stand, and she did not stand. Turning to Ezekiel chapter 28, we find the prophet's judgment speech against the rule of Tyre in verses 1 through 10. The words of the Lord came to me, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, Thus says the Lord God, Because your heart is proud, and you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of the gods, in the heart of the seas. Yet you are but a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. You are indeed wiser than Daniel. No secret is hidden from you. By your wisdom and your understanding, you have made wealth for yourself and gathered gold and silver in your treasuries. By your great wisdom in your trade, you have increased your wealth, and your heart has become proud in your wealth. Therefore, says the Lord God, because you make your heart like the heart of a God, therefore, behold, I will bring foreigners upon you, the most ruthless of the nations, and they shall drive their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall thrust you down in the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain in the heart of the seas. Will you still say, I am a God, in the presence of those who kill you, though you are but a man? And no God in the hands of those who will slay you. You shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hands of foreigners. For I have spoken, declares the Lord God. The death of the uncircumcised. By the way, the Peloponnesians also practiced circumcision. Of course, they were not believers. But in, in their culture, to die uncircumcised was to die a death of a barbarian. Church, these are some of the most... Chilling verses against pride and humorous found in the Old Testament. In verses 4 through 5, Tyre's ruler is described as a very wise man. Through his wisdom and insight and commercial sea trade, he had been able to build Tyre's wealth and splendor. But this ruler had begun to think of himself as divine. And it is his arrogant pride and self-exhortation as a God that brings God's accusation and judgment against him. Here we have the ultimate picture of a highly accomplished and powerful ruler whose pride and hubris leads to his downfall. As we, as we look forward in the modern times, how many people, celebrities, athletes, actors, fill in the blank, politicians, people in all walks of life, how many people have we witnessed from a distance that have fallen into the same trap? 
more, more than we can recount here. The final judgment is found in chapter 28, and that's on uh, Sidon, a sister city of Tyre. Yahweh will inflict his punishments on Sidon by pestilence, bloodshed, and so As with other judgments, when the slaughter has been completed, the people of Sidon will acknowledge Yahweh as the sovereign Lord of their own history. Are we beginning to see a theme here? Ezekiel closes chapter 28 with a reminder to the Judeans that the Lord will regather them from among all the nations where they have been scattered by God's judgment. Ezekiel 28, 25 through 26 declares, Thus says the Lord God, When I gather the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered and manifest my holiness in them in the sight of the nations, they shall dwell in their own land that I give them or that I gave to my servant Jacob, and they shall dwell securely when I execute judgments upon all their neighbors who have treated them with contempt, they will know that I am the Lord their God. Once again, we see the phrase, they will know that I am the Lord their God. While Ezekiel's people are in exile, God has not forgotten his promises to the patriarchs. The concluding statements reaffirm the role of Yahweh in the restoration of Israel. The reconstituted nation will be a work of God and God alone. And God keeps his covenant. God keeps his covenant. Excuse me. Now we get to the really challenging part, application. The exam question is how do we connect the events of God's judgment of the nations of Ezekiel's time with our present time? Drawing applications for New Covenant Christians from the Old Testament Scripture is sometimes difficult, but in the case of Ezekiel 25 through 28, I think we find several clear applications that affect our lives as believers today. As we reflect on how these themes of God's jurisdiction and judgment over all things at all times are illustrated in the book of Ezekiel, we begin to get a better understanding of how to apply these biblical truths in our own lives. Our first application is all human kingdoms come and go, but the city of God endures forever. All human kingdoms come and go, but the city of God endures forever. As believers, we need to always remain focused on our love of God and not the ways of the fallen world. Regardless of your, your political orientation, I think it's fair to say that many people were likely disappointed with the results of the midterm elections. Our nation's political and social divisions are becoming even more pronounced as we move forward into the new year. But as Christians who study the revealed word of God given to us in scripture, we should not be surprised with this current state of affairs. Throughout scripture and history, we see the rise and fall of earthly kingdoms now described as modern nation states. Perhaps the best example of the rise and fall of empires was the sack of Rome on August 24th, 410, an event that shook the world. And no contrary to popular belief, I was not a witness to those events, <laughs> even though my wife believes so. The Western Roman Empire was finished, leaving only the Eastern Roman Empire as the surviving remnant of the once powerful Roman state. Now, please do not think that I'm comparing 
The results of the midterm elections were the sack of Rome. However, there are some political commentators that would probably like the comparison. But as an illustration, it's helpful to know that the sun came up the next morning after the sack of Rome. and Christianity continued to thrive and grow in the West as the world entered into what we now commonly refer to as the Middle Ages. Moreover, Augustine wrote his famous work, The City of God, in response to allegations that Rome had fallen because it had abandoned its ancient gods and turned to Christianity. Augustine stated that the city of God was built on the love of God and the earthly city is built on the love of self. In human history, these two cities always appear mingled with each other, but are in fact in irreconcilable opposition. As Christ followers, we are citizens of the city of God. All of the earthly kingdoms will wither and pass away until the end of time when only the city of God will remain. We are reminded in Daniel 2.44 that in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms, bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. A second application for us to always be mindful of is the dangers of pride and hubris in our lives. The king of Tyre is a powerful example of the self-destructive dangers of these sins. As we saw in chapter 28, the king had begun to think of himself as divine, and his arrogant pride and his self-exaltation as a god brought God's judgment against him. Now, while hopefully none of us think of ourselves as gods, we often become prideful of our own accomplishments, forgetting that all of our talents and blessings come from God. We must always guard ourselves against the temptation of thinking that we know better than God concerning our lives and our behavior. In his pride, the king of Tyre lost sight of the fact that his power, wisdom, beauty, and wealth all came as a gift from God. By the way, I've never had any problems with the pride of beauty or wisdom. We must be careful not to make the same mistake if all victim to our own pride and hubris. The king of Tyre's pride and hubris are also good illustrations of the sins that are often associated with people that hold a high office. Power can corrupt and often does. The pride that comes from the power of a high office is an insult to God, and while most political leaders would not consider themselves as a God, they do face many temptations resulting from the sin of pride. Regardless of how we feel about our leaders, we should pray for all those in authority and ask God to grant them wisdom and discernment as they lead. Our third point of application for these verses is to remember that God is sovereign over the selection and establishment of government rulers. God is sovereign over the selection and establishment of government rulers, not Fox News or CNN or your favorite political commentator. In Exodus 9.16, God tells Pharaoh through Moses that for this purpose I have raised you up to show you more power so that my name may be proclaimed in all of the earth. Daniel also affirms the truth about God when he teaches that God removes kings and sets up kings in Daniel 2.21. And the Most High rules the kingdom of men 
and gives it to whom he will. Gives it to whom he will. And that's found in Daniel 4.25. Now as Pastor Tom has pointed out many times, this is not to imply that Christians should not work to influence civil government according to God's moral standards as revealed to us in the Bible. And we have great examples of believers in God who have influenced secular governments through wise biblical-based counseling. For instance, the prophet Daniel provided wise counsel to King Nebuchadnezzar when he declared in Daniel 4.27, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. However, at the end of the day, we always need to remember that God is the Lord of all history and elevates or removes leaders according to his plan. Throughout history, there have been periods where God's people have been severely disappointed with their leaders. As God's children, we do not fully understand God's plan or his reasons for elevating some to leadership or removing others for power. But we do have God's word revealed to us in his holy scripture and through our Lord Jesus as he commanded in the Great Commission found in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Church, I pray that this will always be our focus regardless of the levels of political theater that's going on around us. Actress uh, Patricia Heaton, known for her role in uh, Everyone Loves Raymond, and for uh, the younger folks, uh, you may study this in your uh, film history class. Getting old is a challenge. Uh, Everyone Loves Raymond, very famous. She reached out on Tuesday to Christians who were disappointed about the midterm elections. And she said, for those of you who are Christian and feel disappointed or despairing of the election results, it is a blessing to be reminded that our security does not rest in men or governments which are finite and will eventually crumble, but in God alone who is ever sustaining. Wow, what a powerful witness. And we can definitely all say amen to that. How do we stave off feelings of despair or disappointment concerning our government and our country? What can we do to keep our focus on the future kingdom that we will one day be citizens of or that we're all citizens of now but then as we move forward after we pass? One answer is found in Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The second answer is that we have hope in the return of Jesus Christ, who Daniel saw in his vision recorded in Daniel 7, 13 through 14, as the Son of Man. 
Daniel writes, I saw in the night visions and beyond with the clouds of heaven. There came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting, which shall pass which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Amen. As we continue in these turbulent times, there's our focus, church. Let me close this in prayer, and uh, we'll prepare for communion. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are the Lord over all things in your creation. You have complete jurisdiction and judgment over all aspects of our lives and our universe. You are the Lord of all history, and you appoint and remove rulers according to your plan. Father, please give us strength and courage to live our lives in a fallen world according to your word as revealed to us in scripture. Help us to work for your glory as we share the gospel with the lost. As we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper, help us to be thankful to be citizens of the city of God and not an earthly kingdom that will wither and pass away. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, and God bless you.